in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, one more prayer request before we drive just straight into our Bible study. Most of you guys know today is Veterans Day, November 11th, the time where we both recognize and say thank you. And so can we just even do that for a moment? If we have any veterans here, could we just ask you to stand for a moment? If you're a, a veteran of one of our armed forces, could we ask you guys to stand real fast in the room? I think we probably do now. Okay. Well, probably online as well. It's still worth just saying, hey, thank you for the families. Thank you for those who are part of that. And we want to just take a moment and pray blessing. We want to take a moment and pray blessing and just recognize we have many that are there. We got Floyd back there. Thank you, buddy. I'm going to give you a hand. So. Let's just pray blessing on that and just blessing on our veterans across our United States. God, today is Veterans Day. And we think about that as a nation, that in many ways we take a moment to recognize the brokenness that's in our world. And uh, we, we think about how hard that is. We thank you for even working through nations and military. Lord, we recognize in the midst of a broken world that outside of that, it would only be chaos. And we see that happen in nations where just that happens. Lord, we, we look forward to the day when it will no longer be needed. When you tell us there in Isaiah that that the, the just the elements of war will be just taken away and there'll never be swords again. And all of those will, will move into practical and just things like swords turning into plowshares. And Lord, how good that's going to be. But until that day, we live in brokenness. And, and to that, we thank you. We thank you for our veterans. We thank you for the lives. We thank you for those who just have invested their, 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 their parts of their very life into being protection for us. We recognize we have many in our fellowship across our town, around our world, and today, God, we just want to pray honor. We want to pray thankfulness. We want to pray strength. We recognize that for some, they face sorrow and, and angst in ways that's hard to even put into words. Would you be the comforter that relieves? In a world that feels upside down, for some of them, they don't feel the honor that they deserve. Would you communicate that honor to them? Would you be the one that surrounds in strength? We ask for that, and we take a moment right now to say thank you. And Father, just pray your blessing upon each of these. We do that together right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, now, guys, would you grab hold of a Bible, make your way. We are in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10 is where we are. Hoping you got a Bible and you're making your way there and uh, just going to be joining us as we make our way just verse by verse through this. If you know you, you don't, you can use your phone, however that works. We want to speak to you guys who are online and say, hey, we're inviting you to the same. We're inviting you to be with us in the Scriptures, to be a part of this. So hoping you brought a Bible, you're making your way into that. And so with that as an aim, let's take a moment as we do each time and just ask that God would give us strength and that he would give you and I just the ability to hear what he has for us. Father, we thank you right now and just recognize that you're a God who sees and understands and cares. God, would you give us just the ability to hear from you tonight? Would you open up our hearts to your word? God, would you enable us tonight in the midst of this evening to have your voice just speak truth to us that would guide our lives in the things that you have for us. We ask for help in that, and we ask it from you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Well, tonight as we make our way into Luke chapter 10, in some ways, it's kind of like a sequel. Well, actually, it's more like a triquel. That's the idea when you have a, a kind of a third installment of something. It's been that way. If you guys have been with us in Luke, you might recognize that in Luke chapter 9, we had seen really just a theme of Jesus sending out his disciples. And so we spent two weeks on that, kind of walking through kind of the way that God had that to work and, and the way that he enabled that to happen. And as we continue that, well, the theme really still continues. We now move from the disciples, the 12 that Jesus sent out, to the 70. Yeah, that's what it tells us in verse 1 there. It says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Quick pause, understanding he's now sending out more. Now, that's a fascinating thing that I won't spend much time on except to say, I hope you understand that it, the followers of Christ were much more than the 12. Those who were around Christ, there were definitely the 12, the apostles who were with Jesus, who he enabled to, to be those who with you know, power and authority would lead, but there was a lot, much larger group. So out of that group, he's able to send 70 out. And so we want to think about that tonight, and as I found myself thinking about that, I was reading just in the Gospel of John this morning, some of you guys are reading with us in John's Gospel, where it simply tells us this way, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. I want you just to think about this for a moment. This is Jesus. He just rose from the grave. He's met with his disciples. He communicates peace to them that flows out of the resurrection of Christ. And then he speaks something to them that is true for them, but it's true for you and I, if you're a Christian. He says, the Father, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. That as the Father sent Christ into the world, so Jesus has sent us into the world so that he could end the gospel of, of Matthew saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel, that you and I are designed for that. Now, that's a powerful reality that I want to just quickly speak to you and tell you that's clear. The Bible's 100% clear about this, that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are one that knows him, then you are not an extra on the set. You're a part of his plan. He has put you into this world on purpose and with intention that your life would be a representation, that you would be sent into this world to make a difference. Now, I want you to think about that because, again, that's where we are. We're watching Jesus send, and as we're watching him send these well, what we want to do is look at the kind of the principles that kind of come around that and see how they work for those, but how they also work for you. Now, if again, if you were with us in just Luke chapter 9, we found about 15 principles. We spent two weeks on them. We had, I think, nine one week and at six the other, and, and, and much just kind of walking through things that Jesus spoke into the things that are there. Tonight, we want to add another 10. Yeah, it's going to happen quickly, and so we're going to have to walk through them quickly, and some of them are repeats. Some of the same lessons that Jesus spoke to the 12, he speaks to the 70, but we'll cover them again. And I want you to think through these 10 things, 10 things that are true for serving Jesus, 10 things that God would say, hey, this is part of what that would look like in their lives, and hopefully it would be something that would speak to you. Now, maybe all of them are going to be helpful, but maybe one of them will speak exactly to where you are right now and kind of just hopefully continue to encourage you and the plan that God has for your life to serve him. So it begins there in verse one. Would you notice it again with me? 
This is after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. It's worth noting that really the beginning of this, of serving Jesus, is to follow his leading. We talked about this already in chapter 9, so I just want to quickly point out, I like the way it says. I like the way it points it. It says the Lord appointed them that he caused that he he's the one that did it and then he sends them two by two i don't want to spend a bunch of time on that because we've already done that but i just want to tell you that's the power of this then we think about being what god wants for your life the person that needs to be the one that just makes that clear to you is jesus he's still the one that's doing that he's still the head of his church it's not what i think of your life or what somebody else thinks of your life No, the key in finding out what God has for us is to have him be the one that appoints us and directs us and sends us. And I'm telling you, he still does that. He's still a part of that. And so it begins that way where Jesus is the one who takes these 70 and he appoints them and he tells them, hey, this is what I want you to do. And I just want to call you to that kind of relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, you know, my sheep hear my voice. You know, that's, that's, you know, I'm the good shepherd and they hear me. And I just want to invite you to that kind of relationship with Jesus that he would be the one that's directing your lives. So you would follow his leading. Now, actually, there's a whole bunch of stuff right there in verse one. And so I just point out also, not only is it that Jesus is sending, but it's worth noting that he sends them out two by two, that he sends them out with others. He sends them out in a connected way. And it's always meant to be that way. As we think about what God has for us, he's called us to be a part of the body of Christ. He's called us to be a part of what's there. And and as he sent them out two by two, it's definitely just a quick, just encouragement for me to say it that way. It's not any kind of legalistic way that it always has to be two by two. I mean, I think about it. Sometimes Colts do that, you know, and some of you maybe would have, you know, people knock on your door and it's always two by two. And there's something about just that kind of canned approach that's not necessarily always the way that God works. But I can tell you this, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. There's nobody that God is just saying, hey, I want you to serve outside of a connection to the body of Christ. We're always made to be a part of the body. We're always made to be a part of of serving among and with and connected to just the people of God. And I think about how powerful that is. Think about just the reality of being those who would say, okay, I, I want to be a part of what God is doing, which would be, again, being sent by him and in connection to the body of Christ. As he says that, as he, as, he, as he gives us all of that, notice how he lays it out there in verse 1. It says, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also, and sent them two by two before his face, into every city and place where he himself was about to go. I really like this. I, I like that there's a, a sense of the, of the way this works, that, that our intention, if we serve, is to pave the way for Jesus, that we're sent before him into the very places that he's about to go. I, I want you just to think about that for a moment because I love the way it just puts it in verse one there. We go before his face. We go where he himself is, is about to make that connection. I like that picture, and I want to tell you It's everything that we're supposed to be doing. And if I can be even just very in the moment with you, that's exactly what I long for you this evening. I I long to be a part of where I'm speaking, but what happens is that God himself is moving 
and that He would draw you to Him. It's never a sense that we're drawing you to us. It's never a sense that we're, we're calling you to, you know, kind of just have a relationship with Calvary Chapel. It is a sense of saying, hey, we want to represent Jesus. We so long that, that Christ would be the one that you, you are drawn to, and, and that's simply the, been to be the way it works, and it's supposed to be that way in your life. What a fascinating thing is to be that, to say, okay, I want to go and pave a road for Jesus to walk on, to, to say, I want to do something so that people could have a connection with Christ, so that that would be a reality of, of the way that that would work, and it would be a, a way that that's designed. It's what we're meant to do, that that place of our lives is not ending in ourselves. We're certainly not drawing people to us, but we're longing for people to come into and have that connection to Christ. Well, we think about that reality, and as he lays that out to us, and he gives us this, you know, to recognize, okay, Jesus is leading, we, we're serving together, we're walking, seeking to pave a way for Christ. He then takes us and talks about some of the need that's there. In a familiar verse, he gives it to us this way in verse 2. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Yeah, he's calling us to recognize as we see those needs that we become a people that pray for that. Again, it's a familiar verse, but please just think it through with me for a moment. He just lays it out to us. The needs are so great. The harvest, the, the needs to represent Christ in our world, the, the places that need that, that touch from him, it's It's massive it's big, but the laborers are few. It is always that way. It's always a part of that. There's never been a church, certainly not our church, that we'd look and say, hey, we are totally just have all the laborers we need. In fact, you know, as I think about us right now, we're, we, it's definitely one of those seasons. I mean, I think of this whole COVID world kind of thing has really put some just dampers on the number of servants that we have. And honestly, I can just tell you, if you were gathering with our staff on, on a weekly basis, you would know it's one of our biggest requests. You know, we think about needs in our sound ministry of needing volunteers. We think about our kids' ministry right now that has a whole bunch of holes. We think about our ushers and greeters. We think about needs, and I'm just telling you, hey, there's needs. I mean, there, there's needs to look there, and we, and we look at a lack of labors, but what's so significant at this moment is what Jesus tells us to do with that. He says, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few, therefore pride. Therefore, because that's the reality, you should pray. You should be one that prays. Now, I love this reality, but I'm just going to be honest. I don't know how often it actually happens. I don't know how often we actually take Jesus' word on this. I think about even what I just talked to you about. I just kind of laid out real quickly, hey, we have needs here, and just going to be flat out honest. I mean, there's a piece of me that would love to, like, hey, you know, we're going to lock the doors, you know, until you, you sign up for something, you can't leave the church. Just kidding. I'm not actually going to do that. But hey, there are times that you think, hey, what do we have to do to make this happen? What do we have to do? And there's that tendency to take that, and then you hear Jesus say, you know what you need to do? You need to pray. Because prayer becomes the way that does this because it's not our harvest. He says you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest because it is His harvest. This is His work that we want to see happen. And He says you need Him to do the sending. That kind of takes us back to number one. The first one was, hey, Jesus sends. That's what He said He would do. 
that he's the one that will kind of, you know, guide people and lead people into what he has. And if we really want that and we really believe that, then this is what we're really going to want is not what we could manufacture, but what Jesus does. He just does a much better job than we do. He just does a much better job than we do. But again, I'm just going to speak to you as honest as I can. I love this verse. It's one that's special to me. We try to do it a little bit. We probably don't do it well enough. And I find myself sometimes wondering. I find myself wondering, Lord, I wonder how much inside our church and inside the church in America and the church in the United States is really elbow grease, you know, is really, you know, us trying to make something happen. You know, us, you know, bearing a load and, and trying to guilt people into doing things, trying to force them into doing things. And much that happens sometimes in the body of Christ happens that way, but it's not His design. Now, that might even be life-giving for you for a quick moment. For some of you, you've been in church for years, and for you, that's kind of what you think about. You think about, hey, when you know, children's ministry doesn't have people or whatever, it's, it's time to turn up the guilt. It's time to you know, make people feel bad, and, and, and you're kind of almost like, well, that's just how it works. That's how it happens. But something inside you, maybe you've been guilted in to do something, and you've found the very reality of it, that when Jesus isn't the one who's guiding and leading, when you're kind of being pushed into ministry by people, when it's elbow grease that is causing you to get into the ministry, then it's elbow grease that keeps you there. And that's just something that empties your life out in a dry way, in a way that's not meant to be that way. The body of Christ, what God is doing in this world, it's an amazing reality, but it's His. He's the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, we ought to be those who are praying for him to send out his laborers into his harvest. And I'm just calling you to believe it. I'm just calling you to believe it, to be someone that says, if I see needs, I want to pray for them. I'm going to start praying for God to do a work. And I'm just telling you right now, hey, we certainly would appreciate those prayers. We recognize needs that we have right now, and there is that tendency to want to elbow grease this thing, but it would be so much better if we would say, okay, God, would you work? God, we need you to do a work that's divine. This is not our work. This is your work. And we so want to see that happen. Well, he calls us to that. And yet as he calls us to that, he then gives us another thought. Verse three, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Hey, that's kind of a scary reality. Yeah, he tells us here, you need to go your way. And the idea is, again, go and do what God's calling you to do, to walk in that plan that he's laying out in your life. But as he calls us to do that, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to see something. I want you to, to, to make sure you understand it. And again, he gives us that intention of behold, look on this. I'm sending you out as lambs. And I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. That's just an interesting kind of description. That's a description that is both problematic and scary and much that's there. Maybe in part of this is just letting us know that it's a dangerous world. I mean, our world is in rebellion and there's much that's a part of that. Kind of with that awareness that, you know, as we go out to be those representations of them, there is that sense where Jesus would give similar thoughts where he'd tell us, you know, we're to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But there's also another thought that's probably in the midst of this is the way that he's calling us to represent him is as a lamb. 
I mean, there is a sense that we're going out, being sent out by him, but not to go and take up, if I can kind of say it this way, wolfish tactics, you know, and, you know, again, kind of whatever it takes to, that's the way it works in the world, but he says, I'm sending you out entirely differently. That's the way the world is, but I'm sending you out as lambs. I'm sending you out as lambs. And again, that place of, of calling us to dependence upon him, that place of just recognizing, hey, the only way that's going to work is by his enablement. Okay. So guidance, guidance where he's sending these 70 and once more, guidance how he would send you and I that he would call us to be a part of that. With that, he also tells them this, that we talked about in our study in the first part of chapter 9. So again, I'm just going to kind of skate over this one fairly quickly, but also just point out, both in verse 4 and then he'll come back to it in verse 8, he kind of ties into a well-known phrase of the idea of where God guides, God provides. Why don't you just notice with me, verse 4, he says, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. And then down in verse 8, he'll say, whatever city you enter, therefore receive, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. It's a fascinating and a wonderful place where he just calls us to say, you know, I don't want you to carry into this. I don't want you to be one that, as he sends them out, I don't want you to carry your own money. I don't want you to carry your own knapsack. I want this to be a place he lets us know that it would have to have God's provision. It would ha- have to have God blessing where he's guiding, he's providing, that that would be a part of how he does that work. And that's a fascinating reality. Can I tell you in a very simple way, that's really God's design? God's design for our lives is both to see that happen, so that both at where we would step out, we'd see God bless, but also we'd be a part of that, saying, hey, I want to be those that bless. It's a weird thing. I just quickly talk about it. Money is always one of those complicated things in churches that sometimes because of pride and selfishness, it, it can go wrong in so many ways, but one of the things that's meant to happen is God longs for His work to be there, so that if, you, if you're excited about a missionary or you're excited about a work that's happening in touching lives, part of the way that God wants that to happen is blessing. And so He says, hey, where that happens, He wants that to come along and provide. And then He'll just kind of say in the midst of that, you know, as we think about God's provision, we think about how it works, He tells them, hey, don't even greet anybody along the road kind of an interesting idea of not being distracted as he gives in verse 4, or maybe again it's the idea of not kind of trying to to make this thing happen on your own, but just to step into that, and yet at the same moment to be satisfied in it. As he says, wherever you enter and they receive you, just whatever they they provide, just accept that and, and receive that, and it's a gracious kind of a response, but it's certainly meant to be that way. Much that's said, but I just love watching that work. It's certainly been a part for us that we've been able to see and certainly been a part of of seeing God's work that where God guides, He provides. Well, with that, again, this next one is also one that He told the 12 and He speaks to us, which we would kind of put in in a couple weeks ago is the idea is that the grass is not greener, stay. Hey, notice how He gives it to them. Verse 5 says, but whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Again, he kind of weaves this into that where God guides, God provides, and we just kind of break him apart. But he says, wherever you enter. So you, he's sending these 70 out, 
and he says, wherever you, where, where that ends and that kind of open door just happens for you and often it would happen, at, at homes would receive them. He says, I just want you to speak to them. I just want you to say peace to them. And if a son of peace is there, that peace will rest upon them. That's a very interesting way to say that. Now, we have no time to explore that, but I just want to tell you it's a fascinating thing to think through. Lots of missionary agencies think through what does this actually mean to find a son of peace, and there's some fascinating understandings, but maybe in the simplest thing for us right now is, hey, you're speaking God's peace to them, and they receive it. Like, you're, you're speaking, and, and you're telling them of God's kingdom, and, and there's a reception to that. He says, if it's peace there, it'll rest upon them. If they reject that, if there's not, then it's going to come back. Okay, I, I spoke the truth to them. I spoke God's hope to them. It will return. But the idea is, he says, if you are there, if, you, if, if that peace is received, remain in the same house, eating and drinking the things that they, they gave for the laborers worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Otherwise, if that peace is not returned, if, there's, if there is reception, don't go from house to house. Stay there. There ought to be a place of, of just being faithful. Here's the honest deal. Faithfulness is, the, is one of the greatest keys that God looks for in ministry and serving Him, and staying is so often the need. Now, this is definitely not saying where God changes, where God guides you to do something else. Of course, follow that. Of course, that's what we're always doing. But if I can be as honest with you, and maybe many of you know it, maybe some of you don't know it, the desire to throw in the towel, to quit, it is a constant struggle in ministry. That if you could ask, and if you could ask Sunday school teachers, and you could ask worship leaders, and if you could ask pastors, you would find that one of the battles they fight all the time is there is this sense of just thinking, hey, maybe I should go somewhere else. <laughs> like, maybe the grass is greener on the other side. Maybe there's something to that. And I love that Jesus just slices right through that. He says, don't. Just stay. Just stay. Where, 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 where there's reception happening, stay. Stay till God leads differently. And it's one of the most needed things that, that God would call us into that, that when God opens up a door, you stay there till He says otherwise, till it either closes like you're speaking and there's nothing, there's, there's no response, like you're speaking peace and there's nothing there, or God leads differently. If God's the one that's guiding us into the ministry, then He should be the one that's guiding us out. And I'm just, again, speaking to that. Maybe you're here tonight and you're struggling. Maybe you're in the midst of doing something and you're thinking about throwing in the towel. I should tell you, until he says otherwise, don't. I mean, we have this little joke that we have in our office that we, you know, because we will be honest about this. Sometimes we kind of say, well, you know, <laughs> you know, God can produce whales even in New Mexico. You know, I mean, there, like, there's a, if Jonah kind of thing, like if you want to run away from him, he can pursue you anywhere. You, you don't want to be on the receiving end of that kind of attention from him where God would do that, but he is that way. And I want to tell you, if that's where you are, you just need to hear that. If there's a sense that you have quit and you have moved away from what God has, I just want to call you back and say, whatever he calls you to do, be one that says, I want to be a part of his work because there is this need of just faithfulness, uh, of, a, of a long just faithfulness in our lives, and certainly He's calling us to that, and so as Jesus gives that to the 70, it's certainly something that's been a part of God's work for the last 2,000 years and certainly is needed in our lives. So He gives that. He gives this, this whole part of that, and now He draws to the attention, okay, so you do go. You, you are speaking peace. You are 
you know, just speaking for what he has, what happens when that doesn't work? When you try to represent God and nobody responds to it the right way. Well, that's where he draws us to and helps us understand that, that there's a right way to handle rejection. Notice how it begins there in verse 9. He says, heal the sick there, whatever, which was the power he had given them. May not be the, the things he's doing always through us, but there are, he still does that. He says, heal the sick there and then say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. Like, I have come to tell you about Jesus. I've come to tell you about what he's doing. Uh, I've come to, to be a part of that. He says, whatever city you enter, verse 10, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets the very and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. He says, if you go and you are trying to represent him and that's not received, Shake off the dust. I mean, there is a sense of saying, hey, we, we tried, we, we did that, same kind of instruction that Jesus gave to the 12. Hey, there is this place of being able to say, you know, we, we, we came, we tried, we represented, but now we're just going to leave that. You know, now we're going to shake off that dust, and there's a way of, of recognizing, I mean, lots of things that go in there, more we talked about last time, lots of things that, that work into the midst of that. But then he says, say this, that you're going to kind of recognize that this now really falls into God's hands of dealing with them. He says, but I say to you, verse 12, that it'll be more tolerable in the day of Sodom for that city. He says, here's what I want to tell you is that, God, you know, if that's something they've rejected, then God is going to deal with them on that day and it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for some of the things that Jesus brought to them. And now he just speaks that to the cities around them. He speaks of, of several cities right in that location that had had Jesus there and the 12 and now the 70. He says, woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These are cities that are right there. For if the mighty works which had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted up to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. Okay, much that's there, but let's just get simple with it. Jesus says, okay, you're, if you go out and they're not rejecting you, then just say, hey, I'm going to shake off the dust of my feet and say, I, you know, we did it. And then Jesus looks and says, hey, you guys are going to stand before God for this. You mean, to those cities, he says, woe to you, because there's a day that, you know, what God has provided to you will be held accountable in that day you stand near God. Now, that's a holy thing, but let's also be practical. That's not in your hands. God's not asking you to do this. He's not asking you to hold those cities and those places accountable. God's telling you He's going to, that, that where we've represented Him and that's not been received, He says, yeah, you know, here's what you need to understand. God's going to be the one that's going to deal with that. In fact, as He says that, He ties into it one other thought. Verse 16, says, he who hears you, hears me. And he who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Maybe I'd say it this way, that what Jesus is telling us is those who reject God's people, who reject the church, they're, they're not just rejecting us, they're rejecting God. They're rejecting all that that is. Now, okay, let's just be clear. We're not saying everybody who goes out in God's name rightly represents that, and it's not saying that in one sense that some people have done a bad job with that, and if we reject some of those things, that's not a bad thing. But the reality is this. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. And Jesus is telling us that for us to be received, it's receiving Him. 
And, and, and for us to be rejected, it's people rejecting him that the very kingdom of God is taking place in, in the midst of, of what we're doing, which is this incredibly amazing and incredibly cool and humbling kind of thing all at the same time. To, to recognize that what God is working through us is actually determining people's eternal destinies. That their response to us really is that they're responding to God through us. And that's one of those holy moments. But once more, in the context, it's meant to be part of that place of, hey, you know what? They, they rejected God. They're not rejecting you. They're not rejected. They're reject- and they're going to stand before Him. You know, just because that happens, and again, if you've served God in any capacity, if you've preached the gospel, if you've gone, you recognize some of these things that are so hard, and then just recognize, no, there's a battle taking place, but ultimately, that's God's to deal with, and there's a place of just saying, hey, when that happens, He calls us to be able to say, okay, I'm going to shake the dust off my feet and just say, God, that's yours to deal with, good to do. Well, they think about that, and that's definitely a message of how to handle rejection, but that's not what happens next. Notice what happens. It tells us, you know, Jesus sends these 70 out. They go through the cities, and now they come back. Verse 17 says, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. It was this amazing moment. They come back, and it's like, it was amazing. We went out and, and, and told people about you, and, and even demons trembled. I mean, we served, and they're so excited about this service. They're so excited about everything that happens, and Jesus calls them to have their joy just rooted in the right place. Now, again, watch through what he says here. Again, they had this. There's been this whole moment. They return with joy. There's success. They're telling Jesus about it, and he encourages them. He tells them, hey, good things happened in that moment. He says, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He just kind of communicates to them, hey, that you know, real kingdom of God stuff was happening through your life. Yeah, there, you know, Satan was affected, the, the spiritual realms were affected, there was power that was happening in the midst of that, there was protection that was happening, much that's happening, so they're just kind of rolling off this success, and Jesus is like, hey, that was real stuff. There were some real things happening in that moment. Nevertheless, Jesus says, verse 20, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He says, don't make that your joy. Don't make your joy that the, the success that was there. Instead, make sure your joy is found in your own salvation, that your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. This is an incredibly important lesson, but I'm just going to try to be as clear and honest with you. This is one that I struggle with. Uh, here's the deal. If you invest your joy into successes or failures, then your life is in a space of being just riding this topsy-turvy curve of, you know, I feel good, I feel bad, I feel good, I feel bad. And sometimes ministry can feel that way. I mean, I can just again tell you, sometimes for me, Sundays, Wednesdays, they can be this place that if, you, if you're teaching the Bible, you're doing it, and it feels like it goes well, it can be like, yeah, it went really well, thank you, Lord, it worked. And then when it doesn't go well, and that happens, then you find yourself like, oh, I'm the worst ever, and you know, like, you should just fire me now. And, and there's this place where your heart can ride this, this place that Jesus is saying, that he's telling us, hey, that's not where I want your joy to be. 
The problem was you placed your joy in what you were doing instead of your joy that God has saved you. That, that no matter what happens in your life, no matter, no, no matter what the, that is, to recognize that God has been a part of that. Now, again, I don't do it perfectly. I've just tried to be honest with you. I've tried to tell you I, I invest a little bit too much joy and sorrow in those things. Nevertheless, it is something I pursue. In fact, I have this own little thing that I do in my own head. I've shared it with you guys some. You know, often as people ask me, you know, like, how are you doing? And how's everything going? And I will often answer, it's well. It's, I'm doing well. Now, in the back of my mind, if you know me well enough, you know that I'm saying something more, because I'm saying, it's well with my soul. You know, we, I, I'm quoting almost from the song, saying, no, no, matter, no matter what happens, no matter whether it's good, or no matter whether it's bad, no matter whether it's a, a great day or a bad day, there is a sense of me saying, you know what, my name is written in heaven. My name is there, and if my name is there, then the worst day here is nothing, because I got a future. I have a future that I've been rescued, and there's something about trying to catch your life there. And I love that Jesus is able to speak this. I love that he's able to tell us, and and again, it's one of these moments that he's communicating to this on their success. He's like, it was really good. Yeah, you guys were successful. Real things were happening. Don't invest your heart there, because it's not always going to be that way. There are the places where they reject, and more than that, you miss the point of just recognizing that, that you're his, and I'm just calling you to that. I'm just calling you to, to what Jesus is saying, that, that our joy should not be in success or failure. It should be in that He's loved us and that He's drawn us to Him. That's the place that's a solid joy and a place that He would have for you. He certainly would have for me. And again, honestly, I need to grow there. Certainly want to. Well, he's giving us all of this, and I love that all this is happening. So he's walking through this place where he's talking about them staying, handling rejection, finding their joy in heaven, and then one last lesson that he kind of launches into this moment. And again, you got to kind of feel it because it's in this moment where success just happened, where they served and powerful moments. I mean, God was moving and working, and they're kind of excited about that. And so Jesus has just told them, hey, don't let that be your joy. Let your joy be in heaven. And now Jesus prays. It says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, it seemed good in your sight. Okay, pause. So we're going to watch this through, and there's a lot of just depth in what he's going to say, but in some ways, he's going to call us to a place of humility. He's going to call us to a place that we do this because Jesus is rejoicing in God's work, but he does so in a way. He says, Lord, I thank you that you didn't give this to the wise, but you gave this to the babes. Now, I just want you to try to imagine being there for a moment, and if you had been listening, I wonder what you would have expected him to say. So you just had a successful mission trip. I mean, things were happening. People's lives were touched. And, and Jesus just told you about joy. And so he just starts praying. And he's like, Lord, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you that you've revealed yourself. And you might have thought at that moment that he's going to be like, I thank you for giving me such amazing people. Boy, I thank you for these guys. They're so smart and they're so brilliant. And they actually thank you for these kinds. And they're probably waiting for their commendation, their medal. And he's like, Lord, thank you that you didn't give me anybody really smart. 
Thank you that you gave me just the, the, the most simple and babe-like people. I just thank you, God, that, that it wasn't the, 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 the really smart people or the wise or the prudent, but you gave them, you gave these babes all things, he says in verse 22, have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and the one whom the Father, except the Son, and the one whom the Son reveals him. And he turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are your eyes which they, for the things which they see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it and hear what you hear and not hear it. This is one of those moments where, again, he's just communicating. He says, okay, it's not us. It's not, it's not that we're smarter. It's not that we're better. It's not that we look and say, okay, my name's written in heaven because I'm really a smart dude, you know, or, or any of those places. It's this place of recognizing it wasn't me. I mean, I can honestly say my salvation is God's faithfulness in pursuing me. And he's brought me and he brings everybody that comes to Christ to a childlike faith where we recognize he's not me at all. It's, it's, not, it's all him. And there's a place of being able to say that we'd be able to bless God and acknowledge that this is his work in us. That, that what we are is his gift and, and his drawing, it's his. And if you could say this, if you could feel what Jesus is saying, then there's a genuine humility. There's a genuine humility where you would say, you know, okay, here's the thing, that the, the reason that we know the truth, the reason that we have responded, it's because Jesus is so faithful. And I'm, I'm, and I'm not here to, you know, say I'm smarter or any of those things. I, you know, the, the only thing is that to come to an end and say, I'm, really, I, I come as a child comes. I come as a babe comes. I come with no power, no strength of my own. It's not like God came to me and said, hey, you're pretty good, you know. Can I take you? You only need a little bit of help. You know, you're like 70% of the way serving, you know, making your own salvation. No, he came and told me what he told you. There's nothing good in me. All my works are, 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 are filthy rags. There's not anything that I have to bring to him. Everything is his. Everything is his faithfulness. Everything is his goodness in my life. And so it draws us to a place where we recognize, wow, that's, that's really where I am. And it's a needed thing. Would to God that it would always be there. And again, I, I'm just telling you, I love that Jesus is communicating that to these 70 and to them and to us. And I could wish that always God's people had such hearts. It's not always the case. Sometimes Christians can get arrogant and really think it is about them, and really think that they're smart, and that their reason that God is working through them, and it, and it communicates something that is entirely not the message of the gospel, entirely not the hope that we have, and I love that Jesus just comes and says, hey, this is a different plan. This is a different why. Well, I, we walked through that, and we've done so kind of quickly tonight, and I recognize that, you know, as we watch Jesus sending out these 70, but I want to say again, it really is his plan. His means of doing things is so very different. I love watching how he does this. I love the way that he has intended ministry to work. And I want to tell you, he's inviting you to it. I speak to you tonight not knowing where you are in this. Maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with God. That's not a sense that you can be a part of what God is doing. And today, if that's you, then we get the chance of telling you, hey, Jesus is drawing. He's a faithful God, and, and He's drawing people to Him to be saved, and we would invite you to be a part of that tonight. We'd invite you to surrender your life to Him, and through the cross that Jesus died, that you would enter into a relationship with Him. I invite you to that. I speak to others that you are a part of that, and you're serving. You, you've, you've already figured out that your life is meant to be a part of God's plan, 
that, that you're not here as an extra on the set, as we say often. You're here to be a part, uh, just playing a part in the kingdom of God. And I just want to tell you, this is the way he wants you to do that. Maybe you've already figured that out as we've said these things tonight. They've kind of rolled across you in a way that is just strengthening that. And I just want to tell you, whatever's needed in that, if there's something that's even a little bit off, that there would just be like, okay, kind of lost that there. Maybe again, maybe I got prideful or maybe I found my joy in, in what I was doing and not just in being saved. Whatever that would be tonight, I just want to say, if you're serving, I just want to tell you, there's a good place of just making sure you're serving His way that God's work done God's way is a beautiful thing. But I know I'm speaking to some that, for whatever reason, you're still not. Whatever's, whatever's locked you down that's keeping you out from being a part of it, and sometimes it's bad experiences, sometimes it's, it's lies, but I want to tell you, He's calling this to you, and it, and it really begins with you saying, God, would you show me what you have for my life? And then praying and seeking and saying, God, send me out, give me a heart for those things. And I'm telling you, it's an amazing journey. It's a journey that would be just a part of what God would have for you, and there's still time. We're still here. Jesus hasn't come back yet. I don't know how much more time we have left. I, I tend to believe not much. I tend to believe that there's probably, the, the clock is ticking down quickly to the end of time, and I'm just telling you, from, from here to that point, you, you have a chance to be a part of what God is doing. And I'm hoping that through something that was said tonight, you would say, okay, well, that's what I need to begin doing. Maybe I need to seek Jesus, or maybe I need to start praying. Hey, God, send out your laborers into your harvest, and, and, and just let him begin giving me a heart for those things. I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. And, and it's a place of finding your life in the midst of what he has for you. So, take that, let's close our Bibles, and let's take a few moments, and we're just going to go before God together in prayer and my hope is that maybe one of these sticks out bigger than the others in this whole thing. And so right now, just asking that he would draw you to that and show you what he has for you. So with that in mind, would you join me? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. I think about just reading in the Gospel of John today, in those amazing words that you said, that as the Father had sent you, you're sending us. I think about just John 3.16, that God, you so loved the world that you sent Jesus into the world. And if I put those two verses together, then I would say, God, you still, you still so love the world. You still so love people, and you're sending us to represent you in this world. God, I pray that that's happening even tonight. For any that don't know you, I pray for that rescue. I pray for salvation. God, I pray for those who know you and are serving. And maybe all these things are in just order in their life, and there's just a, a good kind of flow in that. Or maybe there's some just places that gotten out of kilter. And even tonight, would you strengthen? Would you strengthen the hands and hearts that you would do indeed what you said you would do, that as you... As the Father sent you, you would send these. And you'd send them with the strength, with the guidance that your work would be done your way. God, would you strengthen that? But Lord, I do pray for anybody that in the scheme of things has buried their talent, 
has not been a part of seeking to serve you, and I don't know what has locked that down. Lies of, of the enemy, maybe their own bad experiences. God, I'm just asking for your rescue. God, I'm asking that you would just draw and that you would do even what we saw at the very beginning, that Jesus, you would appoint and you would send. In fact, it's with that, I, I, I'll just go there to verse 2, where you said that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. That's true. But Lord, right now we want to pray. I want to pray to you who you really are the Lord of your work. You're the Lord of your church. You're the Lord of your harvest. You're the, you're the one who's in charge of it, and you're doing it. God, would you send out your laborers into your harvest? Everywhere you have people to be a part of, would you do that? And Lord, where that's us, would you lead us into that? Would you guide us to be a part of what you want us to do, and Lord, help us to do it your way? Lord, we ask for that tonight, and just ask that you would bring our lives into just play in the things that you have for us. We ask for that now, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Worthy of every song we could ever sing 